That was awesome. As always. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, dude. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? Yeah? It's really good to have you guys spend your time with us this morning. We're blessed to have you guys, especially you guys online. Um, I, uh, yeah, it, it's such a blessing to have you guys with us, that we can be a part of just your growth in Christ and that you've chosen, um, yeah, to do it with us. You know, those of us that are present here physically, you know, Expect that God's going to do something in you in this space this morning. Um, you have to come with that expectation. We always have to come with that expectation that God is going to be working in us and desires to show us something. And um, yeah, don't, I just feel strongly, don't, don't sit here thinking about all the other things that need to be done. Allow this place in this space to be a time of rest and a time of rejuvenation, okay? And, um, and I'm just really expectant for God to just do some great things in your heart. You know, over the past couple weeks, <clears throat> I have been recalibrating the way that I have been doing life, okay? And this comes about, I feel like for me, every couple of years, I just get in this like this pace that is a lot faster, a lot quicker than what I'm comfortable with, than I know that like what I'm designed to operate in. It's like if you're in a car and do you ever <clears throat> is anyone <laughs> have, have have an automatic see, okay, I've got an automatic car and a lot of times if I hit the, the stick shift, it goes into like manual mode. And then it drops me down to like first gear and then I don't realize it, but my foot is still on the gas, and the RPMs are like going crazy. And it's only when I realize that I'm not going really any faster, but the car's like, and, and it's like, oh, okay, like there's a problem here. Does anyone relate to what I'm talking about? Yeah, those, um, yeah, okay. And so that's like where I've been, right? I just, you know, life is good, and, and we're, we're doing great things, walking with God, but it seems like the RPMs for me, and, and Danny lately in our household have just been like really high. And that expresses itself and manifests itself in different ways. You know, um, lack of sleep and just like unrest, you know, in your heart. And, um, and really it, it prohibits hearing God's voice. And, you know, there is this phrase, it's, and I, I heard this from theologian Dallas Willard. He said, what we, wa- what we want to do is, ruthlessly eliminate hurry in our lives. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry in our lives. And I have known about this. I've heard him say that like a number of years ago, and I've always thought about that. I want to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in my life. I want to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in my life. But I didn't take any steps to actually do, do that. Like, I saw it as a profound statement. Like, yeah, that's right. I want to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in my life, you know. But I didn't take any necessary steps. And the past couple weeks, Danny has been reading, my wife Danny has been reading this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And the author, uh, John Mark Comer, got that phrase from Dallas Willard. And he writes this book on it. And I've been going through it. And it is so good. It is so good. Please pick it up. It will bless your life, I promise you. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. This would be one of those times where I say it's okay to take your cell phones out and make a note. And so, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, author 
John Mark Comer. So I've been going through this book, so there's going to be some things that uh, I've been stirred up um, with by that, that I'm going to share. So um, what I want to do this morning is I, I want to look at the, the lifestyle of Jesus, okay? And so for you and I, as disciples of Jesus, this is what he said. He says, I, I want you to be my disciples, that's what he told his guys. He says, come, follow me, follow me, follow me. See, we don't use that word discipleship much in our culture. We are probably more f- familiar with the word apprentice, to be somebody's apprentice. If you have a business that you own, and I one day want to help take over that business, what I would do is I would follow you. I would show up. When you show up on the job, I would look at your every move, I would see how you handle a situation. I would see the type of trade that, that you know, you're involved in, and I would see your strengths. I would listen to you. I would get coached up on how to do certain things, how to solve certain things, and then to a point where my confidence would just continue to grow so that one day um, you being the business owner, it would look no different if you were to step out. I could you know, properly take care and handle the book of business. Okay, that's like an apprenticeship. We all get that. Jesus Christ has called us each into an apprenticeship with him. Okay, how many believe that? How many believe that Jesus Christ didn't just die on the cross and God didn't just send his son so that we could confess that Jesus is Lord, we believe, we have faith, but our life looks drastically different than the life or the lifestyle of Jesus. And that's what I want to get after this morning. I want to say that as an apprentice of Jesus, my life, our life, ought to look drastically different than what it used to look like and what lifestyles in the world look like. Does everybody understand that culture is set up in such a way that is, let's say, counterintuitive to the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to, to just flip the way that people do life. And our culture today, so busy, pull out the phones, we're doing this, we're doing that. It is just, it's just, it's a lot. There's so many of us that have confessed Jesus as Lord, but our life just looks the same. And so that's what I want to get after. As growing apprentices, as growing disciples of Jesus, we want to keep growing in his image. Um, You guys with me so far on that? So we're going to talk about two things. One, One lifestyle of Jesus that I want to focus on this morning we're going to get to. And then I want to talk about um, a practice of his that I want to get after. Okay, so in talking about the lifestyle of Jesus, John 14, 6, Jesus said this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That's a pretty bold declaration, eh? I've, I've always read that verse, and I saw really like the first two parts of it. And I kind of like ignored the third. I don't know why. But my focus was on Jesus. He says, I'm, I'm the way. The Greek word behind that means the road. He said, I'm the way. I'm the road. I'm the road to who? What? The Father. He says, I'm the road to the Father. 
Okay, so Jesus says, I'm the way. I've always put a lot of focus and intention on that. And then I put a lot of focus and intention on what he said next. He says, I'm the truth. We can agree that Jesus spoke truth. We can agree that Jesus lived truth. You know, he wasn't lying. What he said is spot on. He spoke as he heard the Father say things to him. That last part, though, where he says, I'm the life, is what I want to focus on. I want to, again, focus on the lifestyle of Jesus. So as apprentices of Jesus, you and I, we can't just look at doctrine. We can't just believe that Jesus was the way to God. That's good to understand and know. And in the same way, we can't just focus on doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. But I want to encourage us to also look at that last part where he says, I'm the life. Like, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to come into this relationship with God, Jesus is saying, let me show you a new way to live. And he modeled that in his lifestyle. So as apprentices of Jesus, we ought to look at the lifestyle of Jesus to see how he handled things, how he would do them if he were you. I mentioned before that... Um, that the world is set up in a way that is counter-kingdom, counter-kingdom of heaven. You know why? It's because it's run by the devil. The power of the air, as Jesus referred to him as, the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 2, 6, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. I want to read this. This is in the message translation. Um, Paul writes, he says, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. (laughs) You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. (laughs) Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive with Christ. It says in there, we, did, we all did what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. You guys understand that, that we can't like do that anymore as followers of Jesus Christ, as apprentices of Jesus Christ? You can, and you can confess that Jesus is your Lord, but continue to do the same things that you feel like doing when you feel like doing them. And that is not an apprentice of Jesus That is not a true follower of the Lord and Savior. And that will not get you the things that Jesus promised, which is an abundant life, which is a life in peace, which is a life experiencing the Father in the Spirit, which is a life of power. And so Jesus called us out of that. And he says, look at my life. See, Jesus wasn't about all these rules, right? Instead, he modeled a lifestyle. He practiced the principles in his lifestyle that were taught. 
is following Jesus, following his lifestyle, not just confessing, that allows us to have that freedom in our life. He says it like this in, in John eight thirty one. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, last week or a couple weeks ago, we talked about abiding. That's just like remaining and dwelling. If you remain and you dwell in the things I've taught you, my word, you're truly my disciples. And guess what? When you live that out, that's actually when you know truth. And guess what? That truth, that truth is going to set you free. But it happens in your living, in your following him. You follow him, you abide in his word, you're his disciples, you start experiencing, you come to know truth, and then that's when that stuff sets you free. There is a cost for sure to be a disciple of Jesus. Absolutely a cost. The road is definitely narrow. It is challenging at times. And Jesus said it like this. This is in the Passion Translation. It's Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 to 39. He puts it pretty bluntly. And he says, Whoever loves father or mother or son or daughter more than me is not fit to be my disciple. And whoever comes to me must follow in my steps and be willing to share my cross and experience it as his own. Or he is not worthy of me. Those who cling to their lives will give up true life. Those who cling to their lives will give up true life. But those who let go of their lives, those who let go of their lives for my sake and surrender it to me will discover true life. Dallas Willard, theologian, the one who I I said coined the phrase, the ruthless elimination of hurry, he said, the cost of discipleship is high, but the cost of non-discipleship is even higher. The cost of discipleship is high. The cost of counting Jesus more worthy and following him than anything. And Jesus even says, even more than your family. And yes, Jesus is all about you loving your family, your wife, your husband, your kids. But Jesus is making a point here. He says, unless you don't call me number one and display it with your actions in your life, you're not worthy of me. He's number one. That's Lord. It's not just something that we say. It's not a cross we wear around our neck. It's not a weekly service you plug into for a quick spiritual shot in the arm. He is your life. And as Lord, he's got the way of life that he wants to show you. He wants to show me. So we got to observe him. And that means as Lord, we got to shift priorities. I've had to do this. I told you, I've been recalibrating the way that I've been doing things. I've had to shift priorities. When you, when you recalibrate something, it's getting it back to the, the, the way that it needs to be. It's making tweaks. I was talking to my brother Drew a little bit about this, and he's like, man, it's like you're getting back to the factory settings. And I'm like, yes, you're right. I'm getting back to the factory settings. 
But sometimes, again, it requires a shift in our priorities. And whenever there's a shift in priorities, there's going to be change. And sometimes change is a little bit difficult or a little, let's say, awkward. I want our life to be a witness, our lifestyle to be a witness to who Jesus is and what he has to offer. That's what we want. That's the, you're a light, a city set on a hill. (laughs) We're people who are salt of the earth, as Jesus said. We're people who are different. And Jesus is like, let me show you that different lifestyle. So I told you there's two aspects that I, or one main aspect of Jesus' lifestyle that I want to focus on, okay, this morning. And that is slowing down, slowing down. Slowing down. I told you this, I was kind of forced into this because I realized that the RPMs were just going we're just way too high. This, that, the next. The phone. This, 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 this. Late nights, early mornings. And when I look at the lifestyle of Jesus, he was never in a hurry. Who am I to think that I've got more going on than Jesus Christ had going on? I've got, I've I have a full-time job. I'm also the lead pastor here. I'm also the husband to Danny. I'm the father of Lily and Brody. I'm a friend. I have hobbies. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I have responsibilities to people. Life. It's busy. But again, who am I to think that my life is, is busier than what Jesus' life was. And I see his priorities. I see how busy his days were when I look at Scripture, but I see how he handled them. You never see Jesus running anywhere. Jesus walked places. Yeah, they didn't have cars, automatic cars, as I was referring to a minute ago, but they sure had horses. There's only once that I saw him riding on a donkey. But Jesus walked places. His pace was just slow. And so I've had to really recalibrate and and make some changes on the pace of which I do something. When you look at Jesus, good news, bad news, whatever it was, he took his time. When I see that, it allowed him to have fellowship with the Father, allowed him that space, the margin of space, to be able to talk with his Father, to receive revelation, and then to be able to go from that place. Responding to the Father instead of reacting to the things around them. I don't know about you guys, but so much of my life has been just reacting to the things around me. Can anyone relate to that? Go there, be here. You got to go there. You got to get back to them. You got to this. They come to you with this, 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 this. And it's like, whoa, man. 
Sometimes it feels like heavy metal is being played in my head. Does anyone feel like that either? <laughs> Not Jesus. He was just chill. He had the chill vibe. He, he went places slow. He went places in power. He went places in love. How many of you have been around people who are going, and you can tell they're going a million miles a minute? You're in their presence, and they're like, yeah, yeah, okay. You're checking the phone, okay, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Now I got to go here, I got to go there, I got to do this. And you're like, man, dude, I just feel, and, and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, I go pretty fast, but dang, man, like, you're real fast right now. It's got to be noisy upstairs in the head. And you, it's funny, but like, that's how culture has, has kind of taught us to be successful, like, if you're real busy, you got a thousand go- things going on, you got a thousand appointments to be at, like, man, you're really doing something, apparently. I just don't see it in Jesus' life. Especially us trying to be loved like Jesus was. You don't feel loved when you're around somebody like that. You don't feel loved when someone's not present here and present here. We've been in the presence of people who are present in spirit, who are slow, who are still. And it's, you feel safe around I feel safe around them. I feel like what I'm telling you, uh, you're actually receiving it, and you're thinking about it, and I mean something to you. My well-being means something to you, and, and really I feel that, that you love me. There's no other distractions. I've been in people's presence like that, and it feels really, really good. It's funny. I see our kids. They, they experience the same thing. Like, if I'm, if I'm playing with toys, I really try not to do this. When I'm playing with them, we're playing with toys. Sometimes, because I, I do work from home from sometimes, I, I have my phone, and I check my phone for, like, emails because it's during the workday. And, and I can t- instantly tell. They, they, like, see this glance, and they look and they see that my attention is somewhere else, and it's kind of just like, they don't say it, but it's kind of like the, you know. And, and it's just, as a kid, you can tell, they can tell that daddy's full attention is now on me, and therefore there's a lack of love being displayed. And I don't want that. I don't want that for my kids. I don't want that for any of you. I want to be fully present. I want to be where my feet are. I don't want to be worrying about yesterday, and I don't want to be worried about tomorrow. I want to be right where my feet are, present. And that's the, the, the speed of love is slow. Nothing, nothing done fast or quickly has ever brought like great value or great worth. Anything that means something is going to take some time. The speed of love is slow. All right. <laughs> um, there's this verse in, in Psalm 23. It's, it's, it's Psalm 23, verse 6. It says, For surely goodness and loving, what does it say? Surely goodness and unfailing love. I believe this is in the New Living Translation. Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and 
unfailing love will pursue you and me. Get the mind picture. God showed me this earlier this week. You got, we got God's goodness and unfailing love pursuing us everywhere we go. I think sometimes my mind, I'm going so fast, I don't allow my mind to be caught up in the goodness and the unfailing love of God. It's constantly pursuing us, but sometimes our mind, we got to just slow down so that our minds can be caught up by it. Am I making sense? Don't outrun the love. Don't outrun the unfailing goodness of God. Because it's it's coming after you no matter what, but we just need to be, we want to properly position ourselves so that we can actually be one with it. We can recognize it throughout the day. All right. And so that leads me to this thing. This place that we can call our place of strength. And yes, it's the quiet place. When we're operating at high speeds, it's very, very, very hard to find the quiet place. When I look at scripture, when I look at the lifestyle of Jesus, he was constantly after this quiet place. There is this word that I'm growing to, I've been growing to to recognize and understand, and it's this Greek word called eremos, okay? In our Bibles, most of the time, it's translated desert, wilderness, desolate place, quiet place, isolated place. It's a place of solitary, it's a place that's solitary and it's a place that's desolate. It's quiet. And this is a place that Jesus went to constantly. So, at the start of his ministry, I want to look at some verses with you guys. At the start of his ministry, most of you are very, very familiar with this, but I'm going to read it here in... um, the English Standard Version, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Side note. This whole thing about the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. This is in all four of the Gospels. And note, there's not many things that make it into all four Gospels. But the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove is there all four times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I've learned this about doves recently, that doves do not land on anything that's remotely moving. For a dove to be able to land on something, it's got to be extremely still. So you just get the posture of Jesus. Just gets baptized by his, brother, his cousin, John the Baptist, and he comes out of the water, and he just, this dove is just, you know, it's like the Holy Spirit just lands right on him. Still, Jesus, Still. Not like, oh man, what do we got to do? We got to go heal the sick, cast out demons. You know, like, okay, you know, like, let's destroy the works of the devil. He's just like, all right. He's just, boom, present. 
Let's go. And then so what happens? That's at the, that's at the end of chapter 3. The very next verse in chapter 4, verse 1, is, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led into the wilderness. It's that word I just talked about, eremos. He was led into that desolate place, that solitary place, this place of quiet. So much of my study of Scripture, when I look at the lifestyle of Jesus, and specifically this verse, when I, when I would always read like, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I, was, I, I always saw as of like, okay, this is Jesus' like coming from a football guy, his two-a-days. Like, this is like, this is hell for him. You know, he's going to go out there and, you know, this is going to be the hardest time of preparation for him so that he's, he's that much stronger coming out of it. But it's 40 days not eating, fasting, in the wilderness by himself. Man, what a burden. And the Spirit led him into that? Wow. I just like, and it always kind of confused me. Until I came to understand the word Aramos, the wilderness. The wilderness is not a place of just temptation for Jesus. A lot of people say, man, it's like I'm, it's like I'm the season of the wilderness right now. They say that when they're referring to like a season of great temptation or great struggle or like a, a spiritual famine, they would say. And I'm just in like a season of the wilderness. The, sea, the wilderness is not that place. When you look at the life of Jesus, the wilderness, the Aramos, that was his place of strength. And it makes sense that the Holy Spirit would lead him into this place of strength. It's like the Holy Spirit led him into like home turf. So he had home turf advantage when the devil would come and tempt him. Jesus was at his strongest. I always thought that Jesus was like some weary, after 40 days, just hungry. And then the devil comes and tempts him, and he has just enough strength to just give some verses and stand up. No! He had to have been on fire in spirit. The devil comes to his turf, tempts him, and he is able to just spout out the word of God, the promises of God, resting fully on those. Because he had been in the Aramos, he had been in the wilderness, he had been in that desolate place with his father where he heard his father's voice and he communed with the father. He draws strength from the father. We see it again. In Mark. Mark 1, Mark chapter 1 is an awesome chapter. Um, but you get a picture of a day in the life of Jesus. And in, I'm going to read just verse 35 here in a minute. But running up to it, Jesus, um, he, he, he taught in the synagogue. Okay. After that, he goes to, he goes to Simon's house. Uh, oh, no, in the synagogue, not only was he teaching, but a man with an unclean spirit pops up, and he's just like, silence, you know? And so he casts out this demon from this guy. Then they leave the synagogue. Then they leave church, and he goes, and on his way home, Simon finds out that his buddy Simon, his, his mother-in-law, is sick with a fever. So what he does is he heals her. She's good. And then Scripture says that as sun started to go down, 
So now, like, he taught in the morning, had some solid activity throughout the day. As sun's now going down, it said that all those that had sick, that had the sick, and all those that had evil spirits, they brought all those people to Jesus, and he laid his hands on them all and healed them all. Like, this is a day. The sun had gone down, and Jesus is doing these things. In other words, he's working through the night. And then in verse 30, you can read about that in, in 21 to 29, and then 29 to 35. But in verse 35, it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. That desolate place, what do you think that word is? Aramos. It's the same word as the wilderness. So Jesus had this jam-packed day. And I'm, a lot of times, I'm, I'm tired after teaching. When I go home, we're tired. We just relax. Jesus is casting out demons. He's healing the sick all the way through the night. And then he still wakes up early before the sun gets up to go to his place of power, which is that desolate place with the Father. Guys, we are not doing those things in the day. We aspire and and we desire to grow into that life of ministry. But if Jesus is able to get up early in the morning to be with the Father, to start the next day, to get the orders for the next day, to recharge for the next day, man, we ought to be doing the same. And this is what he tells us. So, yeah, this is what he tells his disciples uh, in the same way. They come, first he tells them, he says, go out, and this is in Mark 6. Carolyn, you might have to jump to to Mark 6 here. Um, But Mark 6, verse 12 uh, through 13, it says, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. This is what Jesus told his apostles, his disciples to do. He says, go out and do these things. So scripture's referencing that. So they went out and they proclaimed uh, that the people should repent. And they cast out, they meaning the disciples. The disciples are now casting out demons. Jesus' followers. You know that you're, you are a disciple of Jesus as well. Same Holy Spirit you got as these guys. So they cast out demons and, they, and anointed with oil many who were sick, and they healed them. So these disciples go out per Jesus' command. They do all these things, and now they come back to him. They come back to him, and, uh, and they kind of pick up this record in verse 30. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. Jesus, man, we cast out demons. We were healing people. We were telling people to repent from their evil, sinful ways. And we told them that there's a better way. Told them the ways that you've been teaching us. And they did it. And like, man, high fives, Jesus. Yes, let's party. And he's like, that's great. And Jesus says this to him. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. And what? Rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to even eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. That desolate place, that set a Ramos. He says, that's great you did those things. You know, like, I can just see him. Like, that's great. All right, now, go recharge. <sighs> Take a deep breath. Rest. You and God. Rest. 
Jesus even did these things on a bad day, when he got bad news, when he got word that his cousin John the Baptist was beheaded. It said that Jesus withdrew from that place to a boat to a desolate place. Even when we get bad news, when we get good news, before we start the day, before we know of any news, we're with the Father. This is the lifestyle of Jesus. Guys, I'm, I'm framing the picture here, okay? This is, what I'm framing is his ways, and that's what we got to look at. Because there's so many of us that are wrapped up in the speed of life, the speed of culture, that we are being robbed from the Aramos. We're being robbed from that place of rest that God wants us to have, that Jesus fought from, that Jesus lived from. Um, a great verse that I love that I remember Danny and I, we were, we were on a vacation and we were resting. It was just her and I. And I remember um, God opened her eyes up to the scripture in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. And it says, for thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. He has said, in repentance and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust, that shall be your strength. Quietness and trust. Some of us, we feel awkward when there's quietness. And no wonder why throughout the day we feel weak and weary at times. I'm telling you, my RPMs were so high. I was just like, I was, I was just, I felt a lot weaker than I've, I've felt in the past. And that's because the business, the Ramos was not found in my life. It was not found as a priority. Sure, I had some time in the world, but it wasn't, it wasn't enough. And so we got to switch some things around. We got to switch some things around. This guy, uh, the author, John Mark Comer, I want to read a quote from him. He says, when we, don't practice time, when we don't practice time in God's presence, in silence and in solitude, the consequence is feeling distant from God. And we end up living off of somebody else's spirituality. I'll read it again. When we don't practice time in God's presence, in silence and in solitude, the consequence, there's a consequence for our actions always, and that consequence is feeling distant from God, and then we end up living off of somebody else's spirituality. Whether that's like a podcast you listen to, or, you know, a preacher speak, or, you know, a quick you know, daily devotional that somebody wrote themselves when they were in the presence of God, the same spirit that you have. We're living off that. And I'm not against devotionals. I read a daily devotional myself. But it it doesn't, it's not my time with God. It might be a part of my time of meditation and prayer, but it's not it. Sometimes I, I, you know, I, I pastor people and and, and mentoring, I hear a lot of problems and I hear a lot of things. And I've heard people say before, it's like, man, I just don't know where God is right now. I just don't know where God is in this. I don't hear God's voice. I don't know where he's at. I don't feel his presence. And I know that God is omnipresent. And I'm just wondering if God's saying to us, like, where have you been? Like, I'm, where have you been? I'm here for you, but like, where are you? That's what I meant by earlier when I said we want our minds 
to be caught up by that pursuit of God's love and his goodness, to recognize that around us. So if we want to live a transformed life, we have to live an intentional life. Okay, we need to be intentional about the speed of how we do things. I'm absolutely growing in this, but I thought it was very fitting to share with you guys because I see it all around culture. I see it in our daily lives. And, and you have to fight against it. You have to fight against the busyness, the speed at which you do things. I'm not saying quit your job, but I'm saying there are no excuses in spending time with God. People say, well, I don't have time. That's an absolute lie. You do have time. You have 24 hours. I have 24 hours. Your priorities will determine what you do with your time. Very simple. Very, very simple. So be intentional with slowing things down this week. Be intentional with just being present where you're at, to enjoy your family, to enjoy your friends, to enjoy the presence of God working through you. When we do that, we can hear his voice more. We can experience him in greater ways. And then also be intentional about seeking out the aremos, that place of solitude for you. It's funny because like over the past, I'll say six months, my aremos hadn't been what it had been in the past, and that's not okay. As a disciple of Jesus, I'm going to keep growing. Like, in the day when our kids were really, really young, I mean, they were up super early, screaming, crying, and like there's activity in the Bova household. But they're, not, they're, they're, they're of age now where that's not the case. And it's like I was finding my Aramos, and I was intentional about getting up before them so that I could have that time with God, so I could draw from that strength. And in that place of silence, confess who he says I am, confess who he says he is, Sit, think, not have an agenda, not have a to-do list, just sit and be. And a lot of that is just quiet. So I want to encourage you to do that this week and build on that in the weeks moving forward. It's only going to be for your benefit. It's only going to be for your strength. It's the life of Jesus. How would Jesus do this? That's a good question we ought to ask ourselves. How would Jesus do? I love the question, what would Jesus do? But I think it's, it's, it's a different angle to look at the lifestyle of Jesus and to ask ourselves, how would Jesus do this? Would Jesus be flying from meeting to meeting, appointment to appointment? Ask my wife. I'm notorious for driving fast because I push things to the last minute because I want to get all that I can in a moment and then go to the next and, like, and it's like... So I've been building in margin. I've been building, she's been teaching me that. Building in margin, space where I can maybe show up early and just sit in the car and just breathe before I got out. Anyway, do you guys get me on this? Yeah? Do you guys feel me on this? Are we going to be intentional this week? Yes. All right, all right. Well, Father, in Jesus' name, you're awesome. We love you, God. You just truly have shown us the ways of life, God, in your Son, and what a beautiful life it is, God. We know that this lifestyle is not a far-fetched thing, not something that is, is unattainable, but God, you have shown us the life of Jesus so that we can model it, that we can live after him, God. So I thank you for helping us 
all recalibrate, God, helping us all set aside things that don't matter from an eternal perspective and to see how Jesus would live if he were us right now here in this day and age. Father, thank you for teaching us these things. Thanks for building us up. And thank you, God, for the strength that is going to come in and from your people in that place with you, God. For these words that were spoken, Father, I'm just so grateful. Thank you, Father, for teaching me these things and teaching us corporately and individually, God. It's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right. Yeah.